Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Dr. Joe Zagrodnik. Joe is a postdoctoral research associate at WSU Ag WeatherNet. He joined WSU in May 2019 after receiving his PhD in atmospheric sciences from the University of Washington in Seattle. Joe's research has spanned a number of meteorological topics, including tropical cyclones, mountain waves, cloud microphysics, mountain hydrology, high resolution modeling, and Pacific Northwest climatology and extreme events. At AgWeatherNet, he is studying the effect of irrigated fields and orchards on weather observations and is working to develop site-specific weather forecasts for agriculture. Hello, Joe. Hi, Drew. So uh, most of us use our smartphones to get a weather forecast. Uh, there's these forecasting apps on our, our phones. Can you give us a brief background about where these forecasts come from? Absolutely. So uh, there's a lot that goes on under the hood to make what looks like a relatively simple forecast on your phone. And all weather forecasts originate from what we call these physical-based weather models. And what they are is a giant three-dimensional grid of the atmosphere that's created using weather observations. So uh, ground weather stations, but also weather balloons and um, satellites. And they so they create that grid and then they step forward the actual equations of motion, so that's Newton's laws, that are stepped forward in time in order to basically move the atmosphere into a future state. And as you might imagine, this causes our weather forecast to be wrong in many ways because errors grow exponentially in time. So that's the butterfly effect, basically, and that they just keep growing and growing the farther out you go. And also, this grid can only be so detailed because uh, literally computing power is the limitation. So uh, many processes are too small or detailed, such as, for instance, the model does not see individual clouds. Um, so those have to be parameterized. So what atmospheric scientists do is they have to post-process these models, either uh, for so the weather service kind of does this manually based on the experience of uh, um, meteorologists with decades of knowledge on a local area, or um, increasingly post-processing algorithms are used which calibrate these forecasts to an individual location. And that's often what you're seeing is these uh, private companies like the Weather Channel applying a post-processing algorithm to the forecast in order to try and get it for a specific location. But uh, for, from a researcher's side, these are um, kind of a black box because they're proprietary and we don't always know what's happening. And also if there is no observations in a location, so for instance, if you're trying to forecast for 
a field and it doesn't have a weather station, it's ultimately still a little bit of a guess. So it, there's bound to be inaccuracy for a number of reasons. Okay, would that kind of explain why I can get on three different uh, forecasting tools and get three different forecasts? That's correct. Yep, each one has its own algorithm, and uh, who really knows where it's coming from? A lot of times, you kind of have to play with them and see which one works the best for your location. Okay. Well, we know we know that weather forecasts um, still lack uh, some accuracy. They can uh, sometimes be quite accurate and other times be pretty far off, especially it seems here in eastern Washington because of uh, uh, all the topographical differences we have across the area. What are, what are some of the challenges associated with forecasting in this part of the world? Well, you already mentioned the big one, which is the complex topography. So again, that's uh, when you look at these actual physical weather models, one grid box is maybe seven or eight miles in in length so everything within like a seven or eight mile square is going to be represented by a single number so that's fine if you're in kansas where it's completely flat and kind of uniform but when you bring in topography you bring in microclimates um, inversion formation is a big one the invert the at night the cold air tends to pool in the low-lying areas that creates complicated valley flows and winds. Um, then there's irrigation, which further changes the land surface, affects evapotranspiration. And of course, then you have our precipitation around here, which as we've seen in the spring tends to be extremely site specific and isolated where one area has really heavy rain shower and there's nothing a couple miles away. So trying to get all that into a single model grid box is quite a problem. And uh, it, but from my perspective, from a meteorologist, it's really fascinating. It makes for a lot of interesting research topics. But if you're just trying to get a correct forecast for your field, then it can be pretty frustrating. Yes, you have your work cut out for you as a forecaster in this part of the world. So uh, what, what are you working on in AgWeatherNet to improve these forecasts in this uh, highly diverse area we live in? Yeah, so we're working on a lot of really interesting things. Um, so as I mentioned, temperature is one of the things that's especially troublesome. And it turns out this is one of the easier things to fix or at least improve. And we're using machine learning tools to do this. And um, the key thing that you need for the machine learning tools is validation data. So a weather station, which is exactly what AgWeatherNet has quite a few of. So if you can validate and correct the forecast um, using a weather station, you can get more accurate temperatures. And this just makes sense for AgWeatherNet because we're trying to emphasize site-specific forecasts anyway, rather than using these grid-based forecasts that just don't make a lot of sense in this part of the world. Um, and kind of one of the interesting things about our forecast model is that we developed it when I was a PhD student at the University of Washington, and we used our model to help our team win a weather forecasting competition against other meteorology schools. So it was initially kind of started for fun, but then we started to see how this could be used in the real world. So that's the main one, and at least the first one that'll likely uh, be deployed to everyone. But we also have other projects actually 
trying to improve the physical model data. So using higher and higher resolution models, which as computers get more and more powerful is increasingly possible. And then also using what's called an ensemble approach to weather forecasting, which basically means that you run the model lots of different times um, and kind of slightly vary the way you run the model each time. So then you get 20 or 30 forecasts or even 50 forecasts for one location. And that not only, not only is the average of that better than using just one weather model. So for instance, if you got the forecast from like 30 weather, if you download like every weather app that you could find and just average all 30 of those forecasts, it would probably be better than just picking one that may or may not be accurate. So that's an approach that we're trying to apply to the forecast as well. Interesting. So, so temperature, uh, I know as uh, somebody who uh, makes recommendations on um, herbicide applications, things like wind speed and inversions are all pretty important. Are these things you'll be working on going forward as well? Yes, yes. We uh, wind speed is another one that goes along with that, which again is really dependent on having observations in that area, and also something that the higher resolution models see a lot better than these global models. Um, and in a lot of cases, that data is already out there, and it's just a matter of collecting it and delivering it. Um, and for inversions, we are doing a number of things. We're deploying, right now we're installing meteorological towers in several locations in Washington State. So we can actually measure the inversions. And we have some proposed research out to do more interesting things such as monitoring inversions on balloons attached to tethers or attaching weather stations or weather observations to a drone. So I think in the next couple of years, uh, we're going to learn a whole lot more about inversions and how they vary and how they form. So it's really exciting. Yeah, that's very interesting. That'd be a great step forward if you get to that point. So, so what is the accuracy of Ag WeatherNet's forecasts, and and why do you think the Ag WeatherNet forecasts uh, might be better than some existing sources out there? So uh, they're actually pretty good with it for a next day forecast. So for tomorrow, we're pretty good at getting within three degrees Fahrenheit or so, um, overwhelmingly the majority of the time. And that includes the trickier forecast, such as the low temperature on clear nights. And we don't really, the, where these machine learning approaches really are good is when you go out to three, four, five days, it doesn't really get that much worse than that. So we're pretty confident that we can go up to seven days. And the accuracy at day seven is probably more like four or five degrees, but it's still, it's still not terrible. Um, and the reason is that is the site-specific nature of them. So we, we've tested at 21 locations where there's a weather station, and we're expanding that to all the egg weather net sites. And when you run those forecasts with that validation data, you can be way better than these gridded forecasts, which include companies like Dark Sky, which a lot of people like. So we've compared our skill of the forecast to Dark Sky, and we're consistently able to beat them. Excellent. Um, so that's something uh, people might want to uh, to access. Um, get uh, Ag WeatherNet forecasts. How do, how do growers go about getting access to those forecasts, and when when are they going to become available? 
so um, Ag Weather Net is current is about to roll out an app called uh, AWN Farm, and this is currently in beta testing. So it should debut this summer, and um, everyone will be able to download that first release. Um, initially, it's going to use National Weather Service forecasts, but there will be a transition to the forecast, hopefully by the end of this year, in the fall or winter. But the key thing is those still will be based on the forecast at the nearest Egg WeatherNet station. So I strongly encourage anyone who would like their own site-specific forecast to uh, contact Egg WeatherNet uh, about installing all-in-one weather stations. And I know that um, a number have just been installed in wheat fields to, uh, to further look at uh, falling number issues. So uh, they're relatively inexpensive. They're only about $2,500 or so. And we need, my tests show we need about two years of data to start giving you accurate forecasts. So basically the sooner the better in terms of having uh, observations available for us to make forecasts from. Okay, so how, how does a, a person contact Ag WeatherNet? Uh, weather at wsu.edu is the easiest way. So, uh, or if you forget that, you can go to our website and hit the contact form, weather.wsu.edu. And uh, we are uh, we've basically uh, building this program to help with that. So it's part of our long-term strategy and uh, a number of growers are already coming on to our network. So uh, if you install the weather station, you get access to everything that Egg WeatherNet provides um, on the site. So I highly recommend it. Okay, well, I can only think of uh, one or two things that farmers are more interested in than weather. Um, so I think this is something that they will be interested in. I appreciate you taking some time to talk to us about uh, what Egg WeatherNet has to offer. Excellent. Yeah, thanks, Drew. And I, I love talking to farmers about weather, too. So uh, happy to, if anyone wants to reach out to Egg WeatherNet, I'm happy to chat. So I, I, I learn as much from farmers as they can learn from me. So uh, the more we have a two-way platform, the better. All right. Well, excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Joe. All right. Thanks, Drew. Great to chat. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.